From the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, this is All About Grants. Today we'll be discussing considerations for postdocs moving into independent careers with our special guest, Dr. Milton Hernandez. Hello, and welcome to today's edition of All About Grants. I'm your host, Megan Columbus, from the NIH Office of Extramural Research. Today we'll be discussing considerations for postdocs moving on to independent careers in biomedical research. I have with me Milton Hernandez, the director of the NIH Loan Repayment Program, who would like to welcome to the show today. Hello. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Fine. Thank you very much for coming today. Uh-huh. Milton has spent 18 years in charge of training at the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, and before that, he was a successfully funded NIH researcher. So let's move on directly into what constitutes a good postdoc. Okay. Well, that's a pretty broad question that involves quite a few things. I think first and foremost, you want to pick a lab that's a strong lab in your in, the, in your chosen field. Obviously, you don't want to pick a lab where you're not interested in going that much. You want to be passionate about choosing your lab, and so you should pick the strongest lab you can in your area. That said, then the most, the second most important thing is the mentor. Who's going to be the mentor? Who's going to be the principal investigator that's going to be leading you on this postdoc? That person should be well-known in the field with a strong publication record and a good track record in training. I mean, grad students and postdocs. There's lots of people that are very good, highly accomplished scientists, but are not good trainers. Stay away from those. And then what I think is very important, and I think very few postdocs actually do, is as soon as you get to that lab, sit down with that mentor and agree on what the postdoc is going to be like. In other words, establish some guidelines as to where you're going to be in six months, 12 months, two years, that sort of thing. Also, be careful what kind of project you pick. You don't want something too open-ended that's going to, that might be unproductive after, and you might have two years and decide that this isn't going to lead anywhere. That's not a good project, and that's not a good mentor that, that if, if they give you that sort of project. You want something that that is doable. I mean, there should be some challenges there. You might have to develop some techniques, develop a model, etc., etc., but you don't want something that's like wild goose chase. And finally, you know, you should agree with your mentor that you want something that can lead you to become independent in a reasonable amount of years. I mean, there's different ways of doing postdocs. You can stay at the same postdoc for a longer period and become independent, or you can do several postdocs, hopefully not more than two or three, and you know, accomplish the same thing. What would be the expectation in terms of time you should stay in a postdoc? Then? Well, that varies. That's very variable. The NIH has a, has established postdocs the limit to be five years. If you're a postdoc for more than five years, you're not eligible for the transition awards that we're going to talk about at some other time. Now, five years may not be enough for you, but what you don't want to do is get into a postdoc into a situation where you're going to be a postdoc. Uh, for eight to ten years, because then then you're stuck and and you're probably being used or and or you're just not cut out to be an independent investigator. So as a postdoc, my goal is being an independent investigator. What do I need to do to make sure I get there and to prepare myself and to pave the way? 
the purpose of a postdoc is for you to do research. Research, research. That's the main thing. That's going to be your focus. And obviously the end product is going to be papers, papers, papers. That's the most important thing in a postdoc, quite frankly. The number of papers and the quality of those papers. The other thing is seeking out good mentors. I mean, ideally, your supervisor, the person that that runs the lab, whose lab you're going to go postdoc in, will be your mentor. That may or may not work out. I mean, I've seen lots of cases where that person is not that great a mentor because they're just too busy or they're just not that good a mentor. So what should you do in that case? Well, then you seek other mentors. I mean, you should never be without mentors. Actually, no matter where you are in your career, you should always have mentors. Seek them out. There's probably some collaborator, some uh, maybe your ex-professor or your your PhD advisor, maybe somebody down the hall, maybe somebody that you've established a collaboration with at another institution that's more senior. All these people can give you good mentoring. So, Milton, you've talked about the importance of finding a good mentor mm-hmm. in the institution, yeah. and maybe more than one mentor in the institution, and that sounds like a great idea. Right. Certainly, I also understand the value of looking outside your institution for mentors. Mm-hmm. What about other connections that'll set you up to put you in a good place to move forward? What about contacts at NIH or yeah. contacts and collaborators that's in your field? Well, that's a very good point because postdocs tend to be very focused on their research. And while that's good, you don't want to be so focused on your research that you neglect the politics of being a scientist. I mean, you have to go out of your way and learn how to network, talk to people at NIH, talk to people at other funding agencies, talk to your mentor and your mentors or your colleagues or the people down the hall about how grants are reviewed. Learn more about the process. I mean, that's that you need to do that and um, and and need to be proactive actually is just going back a little bit to the mentoring thing nobody's going to come and offer to be your mentor you have to like get the gumption enough to go and approach a senior person and you know sort of unofficially ask I mean you don't I've never asked anybody will you be my mentor but you know you sort of wangle yourself into right, that to sort of situation those relationships. Yeah, right right yeah nobody's going to come and tell you I want to mentor you what should the relationship of a postdoc be to NIH at this point in time? What should they be looking at? Who they should be talking to? Well, one really good place to start is to go, is to seek people out at scientific meetings. NIH staff, or even though we're science administrators, we go to scientific meetings. We go to the FACIB, we go to the American Heart Association, we go to the this or that meeting, the American Society for Microbiology. We're always there. Chat with us. I mean, you know, just like you've had to seek out mentors by getting in people's face, get in our face in a, in a meeting, go talk to us, tell them, oh, I see you're from the National Institute or whatever, uh, and actually I'm interested in research that's right down that area, and can you give them advice? I'm thinking, what should I be doing? And just establish a conversation, establish a conversation. Later on, it's going to be really, really important because as an applicant, your chances are you're going to be, uh, hopefully you'll be a funded applicant, but I guarantee you're probably going to be a failed applicant at times. And if the NIH staff doesn't know you, how are they going to help you if they don't know you? Uh, you have to be known. So you have to establish these these networks, these contacts early in your career. Well, and I guess that's one of the things coming to NIH I was quite surprised by, which is the NIH staff are really here to help people out there get funded. That's correct. And so, and I think that partnership is a really important message right. that we should get across. I think, for example, in the training community, that there's an, what I see in my from my colleagues all over the 
other institutes at the NIH. Now, we're people people. We want, we want to help young people and get, get started. We were young investigators. I remember very well when I was a postdoc and when I was uh, writing my first R01 grants. So we want to give back to the community. We want to make it easy. It's not, we don't want to just like be like robots and communicate websites. We want to give them insights and advice. And so a lot of us, many, many of us do that, quite frankly. Also, as a postdoc, I think you want to stay focused, though. You want to stay focused on the research and the papers. Quite, There's no question about that. Stay. Sometimes there's temptations to do a committee work and get involved with outreach activities, etc., etc. I would advise against that at the beginning. I mean, get yourself established. That's not going to give you any papers. That's not going to make you do good, do good research. It's going to make you feel good because you're giving back to the community, but when it comes back to looking for jobs or later on if you're a professor or an assistant professor looking for promotion and tenure, that's not going to count at all. That's the way it works. So right now we're really working on establishing ourselves as a researcher, doing research, getting papers, making connections, understanding the system. Yeah. And another thing you could do is establish the good relationship with your mentor or mentors. And these these individuals are all funded by the NIH. They have R01 grants and probably big big center grants and program projects and cooperative agreements, things like that. Ask them if you can read some of their funded applications. Learn more about NIH grant funding and processes at grants.nih.gov. So we're here with Dr. Milton Hernandez talking about considerations for postdocs who are interested in moving on to an independent career in biomedical mm -hmm. research. We have talked now about what constitutes a good postdoc and what you need to do, the kinds of connections you need to make. What about what people are really interested in, which is what awards are out there? What am I eligible for? How do I find those? Yeah, so how do I, yeah, how do I get funded? Well, there's uh, several mechanisms. The first one that comes to mind is the National Research Service Institutional Training Grant. Now, you don't get those as a postdoc. I always chuckled a little bit, uh, smiled a little bit to myself when I got a call from a postdoc saying that they want to apply for a training grant. I said, I think what you really mean is a fellowship. A training grant is given to a, a big investigator, a big-name investigator in the field, and it might be in uh, basic immunology or microbiology or HIV or pathogenesis of uh, X or Y condition, and they're multi-slot awards so that the training grant director has in his or her possession basically to give out any way they will, uh, they want to, either pre-docs or post-docs. So if you're a post-doc, you can go at an institution. Now, obviously, these, are, these training grants are usually at institutions that are very research-intensive, so uh, how, do, how do you find out what institution has these training grants? Well, you get that. You, well, you, first of all, you can, you can do that many different ways. You can go to this uh, new grant information database called Reporter, which replaced the old CRISP, and oh. find out tra about training grants at Yale or Southwestern Texas or the so University of New Mexico. Reporter is the or OER wherever. resource, which right, is right. projectreporter.nih.gov. That's right. There's, that's the a good source. Another way is when you go to your institution is to ask your mentor, the person that invited you to come to his or her lab, is there a training grant here at this institution? Sometimes it's not, is there a training grant? But how many are there in many departments in the big schools? 
there's a number of training grants. Some of them have training grants for similar areas uh, in the same department funded by different institutes, heart and lung, NIGMS, that sort of thing. And there will be a process within the institution for applying for yeah. those grants. Now, when I say that the program director is free to appoint any way that he or she wants, that's not quite the way it is. All training grants probably have a process, an application process. They probably have a, some sort of review committee that uh, decides on what postdocs or what trainees to appoint on the training grant. And so you'd um, work through the institution. Yeah. They, wanna, they want the best ones on the training grant because when they come for recompetition, the training grants, they're going to be evaluated on how well these postdocs did. So they want sure thing kind of postdocs. Another way is to get your own individual fellowship. Very often a postdoc will start on a training grant at an institution and then a year or two later gets his or her own funding on an NRSA F32 postdoc. And so that's a good way to get your feet wet in grant writing. It's actually the best way to get started because and actually starting off in that process where you write your own application for your own fellowship is is not only great experience, but it also turns out if you get it, it's a feather in your cap. I mean, you have gone to the altar of peer review, NIH peer review, and gotten funds, and that counts for quite a bit. Actually, it'll give you quite a bit of experience and to us to write things. You'll have to interact a lot with your mentor in writing this application. It'll give you a real good sense of how to get funded. You know, just because you get a postdoc fellowship doesn't mean you're going to get your oral ones funded automatically. That's not what I'm talking about. But it'll give you a real good training. It's much better than having no experience at all. There are other mechanisms. There are diversity supplements for individuals that come from underrepresented groups or people with disabilities. And how would I pursue if one of those supplements? Well, if, if you're a grantee and you have an R01 and somebody like me, a Mexican-American postdoc, comes along and says, you know, gee, I'd like to come to your lab, but I don't have any money, the principal investigator can say, I will ap- apply for a diversity supplement for you and basically I will come. Is there anything else you should be thinking about? Well, there are these newer uh, mechanisms that are called uh, transition awards that are designed to take postdocs from the position of postdoc to make the transition to assistant professor. Some of the mechanisms are involve K-22s, but not every institute has those, so you need to call around, find out. And the newer one is the Pathway to Independence Award, the K-99 slash R00. They're very similar in what they accomplish. The, the K99 has a mentored phase. The K22 usually doesn't. But eventually, they're meant to help you make the migration from a postdoc position to a position of assistant professor and with a nice tidy sum of money to get started. That sounds like a great idea for yeah. somebody. Yeah, it is a good idea. I know that I chaired the evaluation of the K22 mechanism a few years ago, and all those individuals got very good positions as system professors. A very high percentage of them were very successful in getting R01s. K99 program is, is too young to be to have been evaluated, but I'm sure the results are going to be very similar. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming today. Well, thank you very much. For NIH and OER, I'm Megan Columbus. Until next time. Conduct a keyword search for training at grants.nih.gov. To receive a listing of opportunities and training-related information, again, that's grants.nih.gov. And to search for NIH-funded projects, 
visit projectreporter.nih.gov. Again, that's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-R-E-P-O-R-T-E-R dot N-I-H dot gov.